Well, a couple weeks ago, while on vacation, Richard and I were having a wonderful dinner with a couple who were just, we were just getting to know. The subject of belief in God came up, as it often does when people find out that I'm a clergy person. The husband said with great honesty that he struggled to believe in God. I asked him why in particular, and he gave a very interesting reason. That his grandfather was a marvelous man, a truly great man, a Scotsman who was a physician who lived out of integrity and moral purpose that improved the lives of many. But he was an atheist. He was atheist because he managed to live this good life and was appalled by the hypocrisy and moral deficiency of religious men that he knew. On that basis, his own integrity and the hypocrisy of Christians, he could not believe. He couldn't have faith in God. And his grandson, having known his grandfather and heard his reasoning, felt the same way. It's a very logical dilemma. If God is real and good, why does he have so many vocal and unimpressive followers? Or put another way, why are there people who don't have faith in God who live apparently exemplary lives? I will give the answer that Christianity teaches about itself. It takes a a couple of steps, so bear with me. Step one, we believe in a gracious God who gives good gifts impartially. This is something called common grace. And it's the idea that all good gifts, including gifts of character, like generosity, patience, charity, wisdom, justice, are gifts from God, given freely by God, across all humanity, not just dribbled on a few Christian believers. Our epistle by James says it this way, every generous act of giving with every perfect gift is from above, coming down from the Father of lights. God bestows these gifts on persons without regard to merit, to gender, to race, or religion. He gives these gifts to make the world beautiful, to fortify it. This explains why there are many who do not claim faith in God, who nevertheless radiate much good in the world. Just like being good skin, given good skin or intelligence or any number of lovely qualities, they are the recipients of a good character, which is usually dependent on things like a stable family life, good mentors, and other conditions which are not under the individual's control. This view highlights the fact that good character is not something one ought to feel superior about, any more than one ought to feel superior because of the color of one's hair or the quality of one's voice or the respectability of one's family. These things are gifts. We didn't earn them. <clears throat> okay. So common grace is the Christian explanation for why moral goodness is not limited to followers of Jesus. What about the part where people who do have faith in God 
are not necessarily exemplary and sometimes do terrible things. Christian teaching is very frank about the fact that no one is without sin, with the exception of Jesus. All humanity is deeply flawed at the very core, not because we had to be, but because of our free will. We ended up that way. Even the good people in the Bible, like Moses, like King David, like the Apostle Paul, like the doubting, the doubting disciples, they are all flawed beings. What sets them apart as God's people is not a perfect moral track record. Far from it. It is that they receive with lifelong gratitude God's unearned gift of forgiveness and love. And yes, do respond to that love by endeavoring to live a life that is pleasing to God, which involves humility and a lot of repentance and admitting that they have gotten it wrong a great deal of the time. What God offers in Jesus is a gift of forgiveness and a renewed relationship with God that will, over time, result in change, in growth in character, in healing of emotional wounds, in what is called sanctification. The key concept here is that this process of sanctification, of manifestation of God's gift of forgiveness and salvation, is not instantaneous. And the odd, though undeniable pattern shown in the Bible is that the people who are most eager to know Jesus and receive his gift of grace are not the naturally good, the respectable, the pious. No, the ones who are drawn to Jesus and his message of salvation are the prostitutes, the tax collectors, and sinners, the desperate demon-possessed, the thief on the cross. We will call them the severely morally disadvantaged. Christianity says that they did not need to reform themselves prior to receiving salvation. It is a free gift. But gradually over time, through fellowship and learning and repentance and the effects of prayer, a follower of Jesus will start to look more like Christ. I know this is true because I have seen it. I've seen it in my own family. They will become what James calls doers of the word and not just hearers. But it's not immediate. There is a saying that the church is a hospital for sinners, not a museum for saints. The central Christian proclamation, therefore, is not that Christians are morally superior. I wish it were, but it isn't. The Christian proclamation is about what Jesus has done for us. Through his death and resurrection, he has offered us complete forgiveness and restoration out of grace. And that really isn't something you can be proud of. In fact, it's rather humbling. It requires 
zero qualifications on our part. As the song goes, amazing grace, how sweet the sound that saved a wretch like me. And so to my friend's Scottish grandfather, if I were to have had an opportunity to speak with him, I would say, you are right about the fact that there are Christians whose character is imperfect. It is very regrettable. I will count myself among them. But you're also probably blind to some flaws of your own, to wounds of your own, and perhaps wounds that you have inflicted on others, however unintentionally. What Jesus offers you is his love, which will heal those wounds and over time will also change your character from the inside out. But to receive that love and forgiveness, you will need to acknowledge that you need it, which might mean relinquishing some pride. You will need to join up with the morally disadvantaged. You will not be able to claim your virtuous life as your own doing. You'll become like a beggar who is able to tell another beggar where they can find bread. And because that bread is essentially love, the religion of a Christian is not first and foremost built on moral regulations. It is built on receiving unearned love. That is the key. Because there's nothing more lifeless, more dangerous than religion without love. I'd like to close with some words about love from Paul to the Ephesians. But before I do, I'm just going to add in a little editorial note. Uh, I saw Tim Taylor uh, on my way out from the 7.30 service. And Tim Taylor's words are very close to me as the words from the Lord himself. And he said, you know, Marjorie, he said, um, I know quite a, quite a few very good Christians. He said, they're not famous, but they're out there. I said, do you think I should include that in my sermon? He said, you could. You could do that. I said to him, but they're not the ones that are causing everybody so many problems. So here's the prayer. For this reason, I bow my knees before the Father, from whom every family in heaven and on earth is named, that according to the riches of his glory, he may grant you to be strengthened with power through his spirit in your inner being, so that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith, that you being rooted and grounded in love may have strength to comprehend with all the saints what is the breadth and length and height and depth, and to know the love of Christ that surpasses knowledge, that you may be filled with all the fullness of God. Amen.